What's up, Grace Midtown? Uh, hey, I'm uh, Sam Breen, one of the pastors here. Um, it is awesome to be with you uh, on this chilly uh, Sunday morning. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Sam. I'm married to Taylor. Uh, we have two kids, uh, one who is two years old. Her name is Lorraine. We call her Rain. And then we have a four-year-old, almost four and a half, but he doesn't like to be called four because he's a particular person. I mean, he, he needs to know that he hasn't turned five yet, so he's just four. Don't, don't say he's four and a half. Um, but uh, what's awesome about his stage of life is he asks the best questions. Uh, if you're around him at all, um, his name's Noah. I don't know if I said that, but um, uh, he just asks the best questions. He'll often ask them like right as he's falling asleep. Like I remember a couple of months ago, he was like, I was like rubbing his back and he's like, what is air? And I was like, go to sleep. (laughs) But uh, one of the other fun things uh, in our kind of stage of parenthood is like, man, we're we're really kind of establishing their foundations of faith, their foundations of their view of God, their understanding of where God is, who God is. Um, And so, you know, we, we talk to to know about how he can, he can talk to Jesus. Like he can talk to Jesus whenever he wants to. Jesus is on the inside of him. He can speak to him in his heart. Jesus will even speak to him in his heart. Uh, for, for a long time, I, I would, I would be like, Hey buddy, has uh, Jesus said anything to your heart? And he'd be like, Nope, not yet. I'm like, okay, great. I, li- I like the expectancy. I'm looking for a little bit more of an option, but <laughs> um and so he's just in the stage of just asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. Well, we went to um, Taylor's grandma's funeral last year, and that setting definitely did bring up some questions for him. He's, you know, trying to figure out what we're all doing there. Why are all these rocks on this big grassy bank? What's this graveyard thing? Like, what is this thing? And um, we were we were trying to, you know, meet him where he is, but also not hide stuff from him. So we're like, okay, well, Grandma Nomi, she's she's with Jesus. She's, she's in heaven. She's able now to talk to Jesus whenever, whenever she wants to. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing journey uh, that she's now able to be on. And he was like, okay. He, he took that information. And then like three months later, in like another kind of quiet moment, maybe we were driving a car, he was like, hey, dad, does grandma know me in my heart? And I was like, what do you mean, buddy? And he was like, well, you say Jesus is in my heart, and Grandma Nomi is with Jesus. So is Grandma Nomi in my heart? And I thought there, and I thought, probably. I don't know. I don't quite know the metaphysics of, you know. But I think the best guess is yes, is because somehow God has chosen to be on the inside of us, and somehow heaven is now somehow connected on the inside of me. And so I think yes. And that's, that, that, that question of a four-year-old is probably the closest thing that we can get to about our topic today. That whole idea we've been in this series of God is. Um, we've talked about lots of different things. I think we've done two weeks, and I think we've got two weeks after this. Um, but today... The topic is God is in you. God is in you. There's a truth to find and 
an experience to discover that God is inside of you. And so we're going to go to the text into the Bible uh, and uh, explore a little bit about that. We're going to be in uh, Romans 8, 1 through 17. This is a long passage of scripture, um, but it's got some real important truth in it. And so as you're reading it, there's going to be on the screen, which is awesome. If you've got a Bible app or a Bible in front of you, just highlight any moment that you see the word in uh, and uh, any other times that you just feel like is important. Just interact with the text um, a little bit that I think that is a really good way to kind of uh, grab our attention a little bit. But here we go. Romans 8, 1 through 17. This is what it says. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We could end there, but we're not going to. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the, by the flesh, God did by sending his only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So that he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Highlight that. Life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, law, nor does it, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are in the realm of the flesh, but uh, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone uh, does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, uh, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to be living according to it. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeedings of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit, who, uh, re- the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather the spirit you received brought you uh, brought about your adoption to sonship and by uh, and by him we cry abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that that we are god's children now if we are now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of god and co-heirs with christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory let's pray before we continue Jesus, uh, we're so thankful for the life that lives on the inside. Spirit of God, call it out of us today. Begin to bubble it up. Awaken it more. Do what you do and draw us close to yourself and those around us. 
Amen, amen, amen. So this passage is so, it's so rich and so theologically sound, but if I was going to articulate it in a, in a simple way, I would say, God is in you. And what does that mean? It's, it means that life is in you. God is in you. What does that mean? Is It means that there is a life that God has placed inside of you. There is a life that you can't, um, that, that is hidden now deep, deep down inside of you that is so important for us to recognize. But maybe what kind of life is that? that that's really the question that we're going to be answering for the rest of the time. We've got life inside of us, but what kind of life is it? What kind of life are we talking about? If I asked you, what is a good life? You would maybe ask, answer things that are on the outside of you. The success or the accomplishments or the, what is a good life? What's, it's the, uh, maybe a dollar amount or the, uh, the thing that you can say at the end. But I think there's something different. We're not thinking about what's the good life. If I can be a cheesy preacher, we're really talking about what's the God life. So there's a difference, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a truth that we have to be aware of is that we could be sneakily more aware of our pursuit of a good life than our, our awareness of a hidden God life inside of us. Does that make sense? There's, 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 a, there's something that we can subtly put our attention more to, this idea of life on the outside than this deep hidden thing on the inside. So what kind of life is this? What kind of life? Um, the kind of life that is inside of us is what I would say is irrevocable. It is indestructible and it's inextinguishable. John, uh, in First John, he talks about the idea that we are children of God, but children of the light talks about how we have a spark inside of us. I love that idea that there's a spark inside of me that nothing can put out. No circumstances, no situation, no mis, um, misunderstandings. Nothing can actually quench this thing on the inside. There's this scripture that uh, kind of articulates that in, in kind of a picture way. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 12 it's a familiar passage. It's this idea of uh, treasure in jars of clay. Do we have it? I think we do. Second Corinthians 4. There we go. Perfect. Um, this is the idea that there's God's placed something of a treasure inside of you that cannot be taken away. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. Amen to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that, that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but, but, in, but, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are always uh, carry in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
So we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So we have this life that's in us that is irrevocable and inextinguishable. Why is that important? Why is it important that it can't be taken away? It can't be taken away by the things that you have done or haven't done. There's nothing that you can do to damage it, destroy it, or even break it. There's life, when you say yes to Jesus, it's placed inside of you. And there's nothing you can do to move that away. Because if there was, what it says there, it would be on our end of the work. But this is God's work. God's work, he placed the light of Christ, he placed the life of Christ in the inside of you, and it's his work. It was his work to do that. Because if it was our work, we would have to keep it up. We would have to keep it up. We would have to maintain that life. We do have a responsibility, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but the you can't destroy it. We're not even good at like keeping the houseplants in our, in our house. So how possibly can we keep this? <laughs> That's God's work for, you, for him to do. It's so important that, to, to consider that the, the, the most treasured thing that God has given us, he's maintaining the connection for it. The most treasured thing, which is life connected to him, he's the one maintaining that connection. Do we have an obligation to it, like our first passage said? Of course. We can't destroy it. We can't um, revoke it. We can ignore it, though. We can ignore the life inside of us. We can hide that light under something so that it doesn't actually have any use in our life. But it's not destroyed. We can always come back to it. It can always have... um, We can add fuel to the fire or more attention to the life. So the first thing that you need to hear is what kind of life is it? It's irrevocable, inextinguishable. But what what is this life for? What's the purpose of this life? What's the purpose of all life? What's the purpose that we're going to? Noah hasn't asked me that question yet. Like, what's the purpose of life? Uh, I mean, that'll probably be like next month or something. And so... um, but John 17, 3 has a simple answer to this. If you want to go and kind of explore the kind of themes of this message, I really encourage you, uh, look at John 14, 15, 16, and 17. I wasn't able to read four chapters of scripture with us this morning, but if you want to, you can uh, in your time, and it will really get at the heart of what this message is. It's where Jesus is talking to his disciples saying, I'm no longer going to be with you, but I'm now going to be in you. That's such an important thing. If that, if that change hadn't happened, we would be completely lost. Those who are 2,000 years apart from the life of, like the human life of Jesus, we would be lost without this change. But he said, I'm no longer with you, I'm now going to be in you. John 14, 15, 16, and 17. But one of the summary kind of moments that Jesus is talking is in John 17, three, he says, uh, the life that I'm putting in you, now this eternal life, he's praying, he's actually praying to, to, uh, to the Father for all of those who are gonna believe in him. He said, now this 
eternal life is that they will know you, the only true God, Jesus, uh, and me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So there is a direct connection between life and knowing God. The purpose of life is to know God. The purpose of life is not to have the good life. It's to find God. What so um, the, the word know here in the Greek is actually one of my favorite words in the Bible. Uh, the life is zoe or zoe. Um, it, it's this, it, it really does mean eternal, continual, long-lasting life. But that word know is gnosko, uh, which is an experiential knowing. It's not a head knowledge. It's a knowledge of somebody that you are deeply connected to. Are there any kids in the room? No, okay. So it's the kind of knowing where they talk in the Old Testament where it's like they knew one another. You get it? Like, like knew one another. It's that kind of knowing. It's like deep, intimate, experiential knowing. Deep, it's nothing to do with head. It's all to do with experience. The God, he says, the life that I place inside of you is so that you will experience me. It's so that I won't be far away. It's so that I will be close, deeply intertwined with you and me so that we can have an experience of finding this newness in him. So what kind of life it is? It's a life that's irrevocable, inexhaustible. But it's a life that is on the journey of knowing God. And so an easy question is, okay, how do we know more about God? If it's irrevocable and it's inextinguishable, and I now know the destination, but how do I go on that journey? How do I, how do I go on the journey of knowing God? Um, what I would say is, is this. In Romans, the first passage, if you pull up where it has Romans 8, 12 through 13, these, these kind of give us the journey of how we cultivate the life inside of us. The, we can, if we can ignore the life, the opposite of that, it feels like, is cooperate, cooperate with the life, cooperation with that life. If we can be ignorant towards it, or we can have cooperation with it. And so this is what it says. It says um, in verse 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Next verse. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So we have an obligation. There is a life inside of us that is, it can't be taken away. But it can be ignored. And the thing that God, Jesus is saying is, says, don't ignore it. You have an obligation to cultivate it. To cultivate this life of journeying towards knowledge with me. At, at different points in the scripture, Jesus uses this language of those who are following me have eyes to see and ears to hear. For me, that's really helpful because so often I give my eyes and my ears to the wrong thing. How often in our life are we actually 
the, the enemy, it's said, is, um, is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And what I often find is that he can't kill our life, but he can steal our attention. There's that, um, there's that like really sad and uh, hard Netflix documentary about all of the like uh, social media juggernaut and like what the end of you watch for like a long time. And then the reality is they just say, you're the product. Like we're the product. The, the, the thing that all of these social media um, companies are selling is our attention. They're selling our attention. They're using their algorithms to get our attention and then selling our attention to somebody else. That feels so similar to the way of the difference between death and life. That if Jesus says, those who follow me have eyes and ears in my kingdom, maybe we need to consider where our eyes and ears have been this week. Where our ears have been listening to different stories, to different considerations, to different ends. Because we have an obligation to the life that is hidden inside of us. But how do we do that? I think when a, how, do, how do we decide to change our attention? I think really simply, the, the, two, the two simple things, I didn't say this in the first gathering, but I, I think this is a, a really helpful point, is that my eyes and my ears are often defined by the people around me and the disciplines or habits that I've chosen to place in my life. And so I would say, if you're considering how are you going to change your attention, it's not just like, I'm going to look at things differently, or I'm going to change my life in a particular way. I would say, get around the people that have a life or are cultivating the life inside of them and do what they do. Do it together. I would say, um, do the simple things. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been following Jesus for a long time. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid, been to a ton of different spaces like this. And what you'll hear is people who have been following Jesus even longer than I have into their late parts of their life. They'll say, just do the simple things. Listen to God, read the scriptures, do the disciplines, show up to spaces like this so that our eyes and ears are attuned to the kingdom of God the life inside of you instead of anything else. Because it becomes easier to choose life that way. I, I, before, this, um, before this role on staff, I'm, I'm the ministries pastor. I previously was the college pastor. And uh, in the college ministry, we'd, we would go up to um, D.C. and uh, take a mission, uh, like a winter missions trip to go visit our, our partner church up there, uh, Grace Capital City, uh, and also do some kind of work within the city. But often we would go to the Bible Museum. And so, you know, I'm the pastor, so I would take all the kids to the Bible Museum. And, you know, mixed opinions. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> so, uh, but one of the one of the parts it, we went there when it was first opened, uh, and there's an exhibit that's kind of um, it shows you how the Bible is kind of all collected. That it's all of these books. It's a library more than a single book. It's all of these pieces, and there's fragments from really, really 
old, old manuscripts, like maybe somebody who knew Jesus, who knew Jesus, who knew Jesus, who knew somebody, maybe who knew somebody who held that piece of paper. I'm like, that's so cool. You know, it's not cool for anybody else, but I get it. It's, it's cool for me. Um, but at the end of that exhibit, there was this guy. Um, there was this rabbi who sits there. His job is to, he's a scribe, and he scribes the Old Testament from He's reading the, the text and onto a new text. Uh, so he's, he's literally writing out the Old Testament as a scribe. And he's copying the words. And uh, so I s- sat there and I was kind of mesmerized by his diligence and his discipline to kind of do this day in, day out. And I was just like, gosh, like, all right, I've got to ask him like a question. And so uh, the next year what I found out is that they put up a plaque that said, don't ask him questions. But I did that before they had the plaque. So um, if you go there now and there's a plaque that says, don't ask him questions, it might be my fault, but that's fine. Uh, I was just like, hey, like, I, it's amazing what you're doing. Thank you for doing this. Um, what would you say is the most important verse in the Old Testament? I was like, essentially, like, can you summarize it all? <laughs> and without blinking, without even a, without even a, it felt like any kind of breath or hesitation, he just said, Deuteronomy 3319. He said, God has placed before you death and life. Choose life. And I thought, all right. Point for rabbi. Huh. Um, but there was just such a truth in that. That much of our life, as we go throughout our day, isn't it true that we have choices. Our life is defined by the choices that we make. Good, bad. Yes, it can't, it can't destroy the life inside of us, but it can cultivate the life inside of us, the choices that we make. That we actually have the choice to choose life. I would ask, what, what are the things that bring you life in your life? If I asked you the question, what's the good life? You would answer me a group of things. But I, if I would ask you a different question and say, what brings you life? You're probably going to answer me different things. Why is that? I think usually we're answering outside realities on what's the good life. And if I said, what brings you life? You're answering internal stuff. And so I would just say, consider those things. Be aware of the things that bring life into you, into your body. Do the simple stuff. Be in community. Do the disciplines, but know yourself. Know God as you're going on this journey with self. Band, you can come up to the stage. Where I'll, where I'll end is, is this, is that I, I think I've actually ended sermons um, with that idea of the rabbi of choosing life. Um, maybe it was uh, last year's thing. So if you've seen it before, you know, here we go. But th- this week I was saying, I was just asking the Lord, is there anything else? Is there anything, is there a step further? And I think the idea of choosing life is so individual. But as I read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, it felt so communal. It felt so not just for me, but for those around me that this life has been placed 
And so I would say where we're landing is what kind of life is it? It's a life that can't be destroyed. It's a life that ends up knowing God that we have to choose to cultivate through choices of our life. But we get to, we get to grow it on the inside, not just for us, but for those around us. The picture that I, that I was thinking about is the difference between a gardener and a grave digger. A gardener and a grave digger both have shovels in their hands, but they have very different purposes. One cultivates life, one focuses on death. And so I would just say, can we be a, a room, a church full of gardeners that are choosing life, cultivating life on the inside through the things that we're called to, through awareness of self, but not just for yourself, but for those who need it. There's somebody in your life, somebody in your orbit that needs the spark of Jesus this week, that needs hope, that needs peace, that needs encouragement. And where do you go get those things? You don't get them from afar. You get them from your connection with Jesus on the inside. And so I would just say, it's the most amazing truth that God lives inside of you. Turn your attention to him and give away the life that he has. Amen.